Good morning. My name is Carol Gosman. My husband and I are senior pastors of Every Nation Rainsa. Welcome to our Sunday online service. It's so good to see you. I hope you've got your coffee, you're relaxed, you're ready to hear from God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, I want to ask that as we preach around your word, Lord God, you would come and touch the hearts of the people listening and watching, Lord God. I ask just for an increased closeness to you as a result of the sermon. I ask for an increased awareness of themselves and an increased capacity to move, to take the next few steps in their journey with you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We are starting a new sermon series today called Fire and Ashes, forged in the furnace. The purpose of this sermon series is to find God in the fire of adversity. I know you would agree with me that, that almost everyone now feels like they are going through some form of adversity and we want, we want to be the kind of people who find God in that place and come out of the adversity shining like the sun. Today's sermon is called Freedom in the Fire and we'll be looking at a very famous portion of scripture. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know the story. How they refused to bow down and worship an idol set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, the king threw them into a fiery furnace that he had had heated seven times hotter than it normally would. And as the king watched them in this furnace, he saw not three men in the fire, but four men in the fire. And he noted he noted that they were not alone. They came out of that fire, nothing burned, not even the smell of fire upon them. Simply their, their ties, the bondages that had tied them up before they went into the flames were burned away. We want to look at this story and talk about how we find Jesus in the fire of adversity. I want to start by reading the first portion of that chapter. You will find it in Daniel 3 and I want to read the first few verses, verses 2, 4, and 6, just to introduce the story, and then we'll be on our way. Let's start reading the first few verses of that story, which is found in Daniel 3. We're going to read verses 1, 2, 4, and 6. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 90 feet high and 9 feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. As I said earlier, there were three people who refused to obey the king's command. These three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in verse 16 of the same chapter, made this statement in response to the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that, he will, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Oh Lord Jesus, make us into Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Let the fire of the passion of Lord Je- the Lord Jesus Christ dwell in our hearts so we will be able to resist the idols of the age, the worldview of the age, and we will be able to stand strong and tall in the knowledge of you, keeping true to you, your promises and your ways. There are two sets of people I'd like to talk to you about in this sermon. And the first one is Nebuchadnezzar himself, the king, the evil king, so to speak, in this story. It is my conviction, and it's certainly borne out by the Bible, that God is is at work in the hearts of every kind of person. That there is no person outside of the reach of God's redemptive power. There's no person outside of the reach of God's love and mercy, of God's drawing to himself. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar was no exception to this. In verse, or not verse 2, sorry, chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and Daniel interprets the dream and the dream is of a giant statue with a gold head and Daniel says you are that gold head of that statue and we see in chapter 3 this must have gone to Nebuchadnezzar's head because this man hearing that that he was this mighty king that gold head of a giant statue then makes a giant gold statue and calls all the nations to bow down to him at this statue. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image. He, he, dwell, he was an idol worshiper. The nation was, was an, were idol worshippers, but he took idol worshipping to a new level. Here's the first point I want to make, is that we are all recovering Nebuchadnezzar's. You say to me, I've never worshipped an idol in my life. I have no gold statues in my garden. But mankind, all of us, we were made to worship. We can't help ourselves. If we are not worshiping God, if we are not worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are worshiping something else. And that something else is an idol. Calvin, the very famous reformer, made this comment. He said, all of our hearts are idol factories. In other words, mankind is predisposed to forming idols. They may not be gold images, but they are things that we exalt or give a higher value than we would give to God. In, an idol is something good. It can be something good that is made ultimate. In other words, it's something like your work. That's a good thing. Everyone needs to work. Work is part of the kingdom. It's part of God's heart for people. But it's not the ultimate thing. It may be something like food or sex that that are good things, but they're not the ultimate thing. And when they're in their place, they're good and right and true. But if they're exalted to a higher value or even equal value as God, then they become an idol. They become something that begins to define the meaning of life for us, that begins to define our identity and the minute something begins to define that for us the minute we getting a sense of meaning or a sensing sense of identity from anything that is not Jesus then that thing has become an idol as Calvin said the hearts of mankind are idol factories Matt Chandler in a sermon he did many years ago talked about how all idolatry, all of mankind's 
mankind's idolatry is founded on four source idols. And he calls these four source idols comfort, control, power, and approval. If you have an idol of comfort, of course it will lead you to idolize certain individual things, but at the source of all that idolatry will be, be a need, a need for comfort that supersedes your need for God. People who have an, a comfort idol, so to speak, are looking for quick fixes. They're looking for, for pleasure and for, for ease around them. The thing that they will be avoiding is they will be avoiding challenge and difficulty and will be organizing their life to, to have minimal disruption. What will they struggle with? They will struggle with frustration and ingratitude. And the thing about idolatry is that the minute you exalt something to the same place as God or to a higher place than God, then you must do what Paul said in Romans 1 is in order to do that, in order to have God, I mean, excuse me, to have your idol exalted to the place of God or higher than the place of God, then you must in some way exchange the truth of God for a lie somewhere. And people who have a comfort idol will have exchanged the truth of God for something. And, and that lie they will, will embrace very easily when they face challenges is that God isn't good. God isn't doing for them what he was supposed to. God isn't making their life easy. But why is this difficulty here? If this difficulty is here, it must mean that God is not good. How about a control idol? Someone who battles or idolizes control, gets meaning out of being in control, gets meaning out of having control in their life, gets, gets a sense of identity out of having everything under control. What are they looking for in life? They're looking for no surprises. They're looking for a lack of ambiguity. They want everything certain, clear. No veils, no uncertainty about what's coming. What will they be avoiding? Well, they will be avoiding ambiguity. There will be any place where there's, it's not clear. They will avoid that. They will stay away from that. They will call it bad. They will reject it. What will they struggle with? A person who has control as an idol will be struggling with anxiety. Because you can't control everything. And as things slip through their fingers, anxiety will rise up in their hearts. What lie will they have embraced about God? They will have embraced the lie that God has abandoned them. That, that God, when things are out of control, God's not here. God's not with me. Why isn't God keeping everything right and in control and so that I can understand? How about the idol of power? Someone with a power idol will be looking for influence. They will be looking to be in charge. What will they be avoiding? They will be avoiding dissension or disagreement or other people's disagreement. They will be working hard to have everyone comply with them, to do it their way, for them to be in charge, for their voice to be the primary voice. What will they struggle with? They will struggle with aggression. And what is the lie they will easily grab about God when things are not going their way? They will feel like God is passive, weak, is not interested. How about someone with an approval idol? People who have an approval idols, they are looking for people to validate them. They need people's love and approval in order to find meaning in life, in order for their identity to be intact. 
What will they be avoiding? They will be avoiding people's disapproval. And what will they battle with? They will battle with a sense of rejection because of course you can't always have everyone approve of you. What lie will they have imbibed about God? That God somehow made them badly. That somehow there's something innately wrong with the way God put them together. So like Nebuchadnezzar, to some degree, we are all idolatrous. I'm so sorry. The sermon is going to get better and we are going to hear the good news very soon. But I wanted to start with us understanding that to some degree we are all recovering Nebuchadnezzar's. It's easy to look at him in the Bible and say, that's terrible. How could he live like that? Who was he? What, a, what an awful, ungodly man. But the truth is humanity is humanity. And the sins of humanity are universal. And what you see wrong in one person, you likely will find wrong in many of us. And as we walk with Jesus, Jesus is not asking for perfection. He's asking that we will acknowledge what we are and who we are. We will acknowledge our failings and our weaknesses and we will turn to him and we will be on a journey towards Christ-likeness, acknowledging our problems, but at the same time, without condemnation, reaching out for the help we need from him, that we will be dethroning our idols and that we will be exalting Jesus Christ and God as the most valuable thing. Nebuchadnezzar had a progression with God. Believe it or not, God was on a redemptive journey even with Nebuchadnezzar. He made this, this statement that people who did not worship his idol would be thrown into the fire. But then later in ver chapter 3 verse 29 of Daniel, he, he makes a turnabout and he when he sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire unscathed, he said this, Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be, turned, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Do you think he had a bit of an aggression problem? First he's throwing people into the fly, fire, now he's tearing them limb, limb from limb. But we do see a progression. At first, he's not acknowledging God at all. And now he's at least acknowledging God. It's not personal to him. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. But nonetheless, he's acknowledging that God. It's still not personal though. Then we have Daniel chapter 4. God doesn't leave Nebuchadnezzar there. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And in this dream, God tells him that he's going to, he's going to become like an animal in the field. And true to that dream, that's what happens. He almost loses his mind. Uh, the Bible doesn't ex say exactly what happens, but he becomes like an animal in the field eating the grass. Daniel 4.33 says this, He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. And then, as he's been in this crazy state for a while, suddenly he comes out of it and God restores everything to him. And in Daniel 4 verse 37, it says this, or it's recorded Nebuchadnezzar saying this, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. How I love that. Can you see the progression? Now he's not talking 
about God as Shadrach's God or Meshach's God or Abednego's God or Daniel's God, suddenly it's now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor the King of Heaven. God's taken him on a redemptive journey through his own personal fire of adversity to meet with Jesus, to find God, to know God. Our idols chain us to futile and destructive futures. But God's kindness shakes us free. God's kindness liberates us into meaningful and joyful lives. We are all on a redemptive journey with Jesus, like Nebuchadnezzar. Through the fire of adversity, God is shaking us loose from our idols so that we might enter into the glorious future that he has for us. The other people in the story obviously are Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and they choose to worship God. Just as we are all like Nebuchadnezzar, we are all recovering Nebuchadnezzars to some degree, we are all aspiring Shadrach, Meshachs and Abednegoes. Isn't that good news? I told you there was good news coming. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing against the idols of the age. And we learn from them that to stand against the idols of the age, to go in a different direction, to exalt God as the primary influence, the ultimate thing in one's life, in society, in the world, means that you will probably go through the fire of adversity. That the idols of the age, standing against the idols of the age, will cost you something, even though they standing against them will will liberate you. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego also had had a journey with idolatry. They had been born into a nation in Israel, in living in Jerusalem, that had been engaged in all kinds of idolatry. They knew about the one true God, but yet they had chosen idolatry. And because of that, God had allowed them to be taken, to be overrun and taken captive into Babylon. That is why they were sitting there with King Nebuchadnezzar. When they were offered an idol to worship, I bet they looked back at their history and said, no way, we know where that came from. We've seen that before. We've seen what happened to our entire nation when we chose that path, when we chose idolatry, when we chose to exalt things to a higher place than, than God himself. We will not go there because we've already, they were already down the path that Nebuchadnezzar was about to go. So we've already read this portion. I want to read it again because I just love it. Daniel 3, 16 to 18, when called in front of the king to give account of their unwillingness to bow to his idol, they said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love it. God, make us into such people as this. I want you to see what they were doing. They were defying those four source idols. They were defying the literal idol, but they were also going after those four idols that all of us battle with. They were defying the idol of comfort. For they said, but if not, in other words, if God does not rescue us, we're not, we're not seeking comfort, we'll go into the fire and if we die, we die. Because we know who God is. He's the God of resurrection. And we know that whether we live or die, we live. They were defying the idol of control. They say, they say this 
but if not, in other words, they didn't know. This is important to understand. They didn't know before they went into that furnace whether they would come out alive or not. So in other words, they were content with the ambiguity of the outcome. They were content with not knowing everything about their future. They were content not to be in control and they were willing to let God be in control. They were willing to trust him with control of their lives. They were resisting the power idol. They say this, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. In other words, they didn't feel like they had to be in charge. They didn't feel like they had to have the deliverance plan. They didn't feel like they had to be on top. They were content to say, God is, it, God is the powerful one. He will do what he needs to do. Last of all, they resisted the approval idol. They go to Nebuchadnezzar and they say this, we have no need to answer you. In other words, they're not in any way courting his approval. They are saying, God is the one who approves of us or not, and we will fight for his approval, not for mankind's approval. We will do what it takes to be approved of God. They also took back those, those lies about God. They were proclaiming in their actions of just trusting him completely that God is good, that God is with us that God is powerful and that God made us well, that we have nothing to fear. We do not have to be anxious. We don't have to be ungrateful or frustrated. We don't have to be aggressive. We don't have to take the power into our hands and we can trust that God loves us. Whether I live or die, I live. At least two attitudes sustained them. First of all, God was the most valuable thing to them, clearly. Corrie ten Boom, made the statement that I love. She said this, if you remember Corrie ten Boom was that woman who went through the concentration camps um, during the Second World War as a, a Jewish girl and was found Jesus there. She made the statement, you can only learn that Christ is all you need when Christ is all you have. I love that. They'd learned that. If God is with me, I need nothing else. That's enough. God to them was the most valuable. The other attitude that was sustaining them and allowing them to face this adversity with so much courage is that eternity is coming. John Piper makes this powerful statement in his book, Bloodlines. He says this, getting up when you're knocked down is the mark of Christ's followers. We know life is short and eternity is long. This eternal perspective does not take us out of this world. It gives us freedom from self-pity. We are about to inherit the earth, as Matthew 5 verse 5 says. That's the end of the quote. We don't need comfortable living now. We don't need control now. We don't need power now. We don't need recognition now because eternity is coming and we will stand again on this earth with Jesus Christ and we will inherit the earth with him. In the fire that, that they went into, it was very interesting that the fire didn't really change anything about the, them. Often we say about, oh, Jesus found them in the fire or they found Jesus in the fire. I want to propose this to you, that the fire didn't create anything in their lives. It only revealed what was already there. That Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego already were living with the presence of God, living with God around them. And therefore the fire simply revealed the fourth person who had always been with them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were slaves in Babylon. 
I forgot to mention that at the beginning, but they were an enslaved people. And yet they were living as free men in the attitudes of their heart and in their life with God. And the fire simply revealed it. It burned their bonds and left them intact. The fire revealed their personal freedom and the fire revealed God with them. This happened not for their sakes, but for Nebuchadnezzar's sakes. They were already living this truth and the fire revealed it not for them, but for Nebuchadnezzar and for the nation of Babylon to see that God is a God who saves. God is a God who looks after his people. God is a God who's worth exalting to the highest place. Fiery trials cannot do what has, cannot do for you anything that has not already been done. They don't create anything in your life. They only reveal what is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were completely con consecrated to God and had nothing to fear. And if my concluding statement, well, let me rather say it this way. My concluding statement for this whole sermon is this, that you, me, all of us, completely consecrated to God, we have nothing to fear because trials will only reveal that he is with us and that we are free. God bless you. As we finish the sermon, I just want to pray for two people. Lord God, two kinds of people, those who are going through fiery trials right now, Lord God. Father God, let them gain confidence from this story. Let them find you in the fire. Let them see that this fire is doing nothing but setting them free. Would you separate them from anxiety, fear, a sense of loss, Lord God, and would you ignite the fire of your presence in their hearts. And secondly, I pray for people who are on a journey towards Christ. And I want to pray for you right now that, that you would be able to leave, leave the idols of your past behind and that you would be able to stay, take a step towards Christ. And if that's you, I'd love you to pray this with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I surrender my heart to you and I ask that you would be first in my life and you would lead me into the freedom that my heart desires. In Jesus' name, amen. There will be a link coming up in the chat. Please click on that. Let us know that you've made the decision. Let us know that you want to journey with us to a greater relationship with God. And those of you who are Christians who are serving God, I trust that this sermon would allow you to leave behind the idols and walk into the, the fullness of everything that God has for you and live out the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of faith that you are growing into. God bless you. Amen.